I can pinpoint periods of my life where I have been struggling and where I've made deliberate attempts to improve the amount of exercise I do, to eat healthy foods, and I see that personally as the, the biggest influence in a positive way on my own mental health. My name is James Cura. This is Everything is Hunky Dory, a podcast where we spark the conversation about mental health. Each week, I'll be sitting down with a close friend and giving quality time to a conversation we may have never had. The more we can see, understand, and talk about mental health, the more people we can help. It's a crazy time at the moment. Many of us are stuck in the house with not a lot to fill our days with. I know many, including myself, might be feeling the anxiety of the current situation with consistent news and alerts giving us more and more information about coronavirus. But maybe this can be a time to recharge, to enjoy being either with or have more time to talk to your family and friends. It's amazing how positive an impact just talking to people can be during isolation. We're all in the same boat right now, and being able to still have a laugh about things can lessen the impact of negative events. This can be something that really bonds a friendship, being there in the good and the bad times, then being able to laugh about it. The podcast today is the first of a series of special episodes where someone I've previously interviewed has asked a friend of theirs to come onto the podcast. I love the idea of the conversation moving through new social groups with new stories being able to be told. So in this podcast, we see the return of Chris from episode one, and our guest today is a close friend of his, Joe. Chris always said that Joe would be someone whose experiences and personality would be perfect for the podcast, and it's easy to see why. Having only met Joe on the day, he is someone whose warmth hits you straight in the face. But it was his ability to vocalise not only his experiences with mental health, but his thoughts on the way through it that really surprised me. He also adds a new perspective to Chris's fascinating story about Bali, if the first episode left you 30s for more. We recorded this at Chris's flat in London on a Sunday morning back in a time when seeing people face to face was a normal everyday activity. We're live. Um, okay, welcome. It is Sunday morning. Um, we're all hungover. Uh, normal for me, not for James. Uh, we've got Joe with us today. Joe is a very good friend of mine. Uh, we met at uni. We did do a seminar together, but neither of us were ever there uh, in photo, so we didn't really have a like, massive It doesn't that. surprise me, really. But then working for a very questionable charity slash fundraising organisation, we bonded over lots of alcohol. Uh, we've done a few big trips together, including Thailand, Bali, which we'll come to later. Um, and yeah, we yeah have been very very good mates for a while. I always said if I get married, if and when, who knows? Um, Joe would be my best man. So um, yeah, welcome, Joe. How are you doing? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, hi. Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you very much for having me. More than welcome. This is uh, very exciting. Obviously, I don't know Joe too well. <laughs> we actually Come. met just this morning. <laughs> you know, I feel like I feel like there's a long, lifelong friendship. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I think when we, we've been talking about doing the podcast for a while. Obviously, it takes a while to make these things happen. And yeah, we discussed mental health a lot, mm. um, and it kind of made sense with everything that's happened for Joe to come on, so it should, yeah. should, be, should be a cracker. And I should say thank you very much for the wonderful introduction <laughs> as well. I'm very excited to explore some of the things we talk about today. Um, I'll let you guys kick off, actually. Okay, nice. Where, where do you want to start? 
I should we, should we, we'll go straight into mental health I think um, but yeah Joe recently in the last few years have you noticed a higher profile for mental health de- debates topics yes absolutely it's definitely a topic that is first of all I should probably frame as a topic that is quite close to my heart um, mm. one that um, I have lots of experiences with personally um, through family and through close friends as I'm sure we'll talk about later I think that it's important that the narrative has become a lot more public and conversations are being had I think it's becoming a lot less taboo to start speaking about your health um, from a mental aspect not just a physical aspect yeah for sure I do I, I, I suppose my main concern about that particular narrative is that um, I think certain commercial entities are now using um, mental health as an opportunity to, to just cash in a bit, yeah, exactly generate revenue like to ride certain hype um, around the topic. And I think we're in danger of desensitizing people to the issue and yeah. therefore diluting the conversation. Yeah. Um, I think that, but I still think it's, it's very important to, to you know unpick and discuss. And I think it's a it's a it's a difficult topic because it's it's far less tangible than, for example, uh, physical health is. So, um, it's it's it, I'm I'm glad that we're talking about it, and I think it's it's important that we continue to do so. Mm. Um, but it, but yeah, just that was probably my main concern. Thing. I don't know what you mean about that. It's almost like tokenism to an extent. I think it happens with like environmental stuff as well, where companies just like jump on it because it's like mm. cool, and it's like not really getting to the issue, are you? Um, I think as well. There's there's there's. Um, certain pockets of marketing now that, that are obsessed with sort of brand purpose as oh opposed to oh my god to, you're telling me for and, god's sake <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean you you, you, mean. you are working marketing yourself yeah, yeah, you yeah. Um, I, I think, think it has to be for a reason it's just like just exactly and it becomes it becomes um, you know obligatory it does, it's not born out of any actual um, you know wish or intent to do to, to make real moral change yeah, um, for sake. yeah. Uh, one, one thing that's really pissing me off though, that <laughs> is uh, when you walk down Carnaby Street they've got these they've done Christmas lights fine love Christmas love lights great sign it up <laughs> but they've got this thing right, where it's like it's like one ocean one planet save the planet or something and you can go donate two pounds by doing a contactless payment and it's all made out of plastic and it's like a big whale and like jellyfish and it pisses me off because people just stand there taking pictures of it on the busiest street in London and it's mm. like it's obviously not saving the planet like the government is what <laughs> 10 or something like that and how much plastic have you used to put that up and what's going to happen with that plastic so irritating yeah um, just put up Christmas lights just make them Christmassy it doesn't have to be about the environment <laughs> for exactly. God's sake it's a really interesting topic because <coughs> it seems like right now lifestyle and in, in terms of like health is so marketable mm. like yes. anything to do with someone's if you can if you can show a positive or, or change in someone's lifestyle mm. that will make their life better you can make money out of it. But health is becoming a very marketable um, or a very popular industry. There's demand for you know consumers that want to live healthier lifestyles, purchase gym related goods, purchase mm. um, you know uh, have have the confidence that they're they're they get the right nourishment for their bodies. Yeah. So you have all of this. Then, but then for me, what what's what's tough is that mental health is is a it's a very early stage discussion. It's something mm. that we are not really we don't really understand yet and, and for people to jump on and, and, and just I think wanting to be seen to put money into it is, is, is too premature it's, it's, it's not the right strategy and I think something I want to talk about today is that mental health is a very personal journey mm. I think it's mm. some of the, the lessons that I've learned um, it, it's about knowing your own body and your yeah. own mind what works for you what doesn't what what, re- what actions will cause what reactions yeah. um, and I think 
that is something you need to go on and take charge of yourself as yeah. opposed to be told what to do or, 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 or you know it's, it's, it's a very different conversation to everyone's got their own mental health journey and own self basically right yeah. would you say that it come like sort of a journey through mental health and journey through you know your own journey comes from within and that you have to kind of search for these things yourself mm. or do you think that it's useful in some ways that if, if something is advertised I, I, Headspace is one that I I always come to because it's, it's probably the most well known mm. but in terms of thinking about your mental health thinking about your mental state Headspace for me I think is quite good because it does make people at least switch onto the idea that they yeah. need to have some kind of like routine within themselves mm. to focus on that well, it's really interesting you mentioned Headspace because I, I would see that as one one tactic for improving mental health, yeah. and put that broadly in sort of meditation yeah. or, or undergoing exercises to train your brain in a, in a positive way. Um, the my the probably the most transformative boss I ever had. Um, uh, so I, I, we'll, we'll talk about it later. But I you know worked in recruitment for for about three years, and one of the bosses that I had for about a year and a half was was probably the most influential person on me professionally. Yeah. And one thing I always remember is that he was very open about his own struggles with burnout and you know probably i think he didn't say necessarily so many words but you know depression and i think it was very interesting to him talk about how he lives and dies by meditation um recruitment itself you know it's a high pressure job you've got a lot of ups you know over the course of one day you could have someone dropping out on you on a roll you could have um you know somebody calling you some names over the phone it, and it's you have a lot of emotional ups and downs got a, vo- a lot of emotional volatility in the job and he said that it keeps his mind focused and straight by having a dedicated period of meditation every morning right. yeah. um and and for, but for me i think that's one tactic and there's yeah. a few different things that people need to explore um, to try and it's not just i i, I personally see a huge link between physical health and mental health as well yeah. um i can pinpoint periods of my life where i have made I've been struggling personally I had low periods and where I've made deliberate attempts to um, improve the amount of exercise I do mm-hmm. um, to eat the right things to eat healthy foods and mm-hmm. I, I see that personally as the for me the biggest influence in a positive way on my own um, sort of mental health so yes. it's it's I'm, I'm glad I'm glad we, 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 we so there's meditation there's physical health there's diet I think these things are relevant to everyone, but have always been part of my personal journey. Yeah, for sure. Would, would you say that's part of a routine that you now try and implement every day? Absolutely. So you keep that as a co- consistent mm. level rather mm. than, you know, which can happen, you know, if you have increased stress levels, if you have increased, you know, responsibilities and stuff, you can then start losing that equilibrium of health, diet, mm. physical exercise. Do you now live by that same routine? Do you have routine that you you know, wake up every day at a certain time, do you give yourself enough time to do some meditation or is it? I, I, so, so I, I don't wake up at a certain time every day, even <laughs> as, much, as much as I'd love to be someone that wakes up at five o'clock in the morning and, you know, runs a marathon and whatever that, that's just not me. I think, uh, I, so taking the physical aspect, so I have done very, I've tried very hard to make exercise part of my routine. Mm-hmm. So, I now will feel guilty if I don't exercise at least three times a week. So, you know, try to try to do a, a variety of things. So, you know, sort of weight training, but also maybe um, a bit of uh, uh, football, Tuesday lunchtime, right. things like that. But, but I think it's it's becoming training my body to a be 
addicted to that positive endorphin yeah, feeling where you, you just get leave afterwards. the gym and stuff yeah, yeah and most importantly for it to be like you say part of my routine i think there's no sort of 30-day trial of something you know that that's not that's not going to have any long-term effects mm. it's about incremental change um into your routine that can therefore help help you see positive effects long term so now mm. i will you know i i have i have almost like complexes in my mind now where if i haven't you know exercised three times in a week I'll, I'll feel very guilty about that if i don't have a certain amount of you know sort of vegetables carbs protein in a diet you know i'll feel guilty about that as well mm. but i think also it's it's, it's i I also don't limit myself. Like I, I do these things so that I, you know, come to the weekend or whatever, so I can then treat myself and enjoy the good things about life when they do come around. You know, I like to eat. I like to eat all sorts of food. You know, I like to drink. I like to. Um, there's, there's, you know, various things that you shouldn't deny yourself of. It's just about being disciplined enough to put the healthy bits in as well, so that you don't end up losing control. I think. Nice. I, one thing I, I think when you talk about routine, I quite liked that you wrote the questions. I know you did this as well. Is doing the cooked breakfast. Um, yes. So this is Joe's love of the fried bre- uh, fried fry up, fried up. That's not a thing, is it? Fry up. Um, <laughs> I'm that white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm safe to say. No suspense there. That's going. <laughs> fried. So, uh, fried up. Fried up. I don't know if you read the Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Joe in, was it 2015? Yeah. Yeah, 2014 you didn't have a great year. It's kind of a few things went wrong. And Joe said 2015 is going to be the year of Joe. 2015 Joe. Which then took into 2016. And he was like, 2015 Joe? Like, Joe, it's 2016. It's, like, it's, a, it's a concept. It's not a year. Uh, but yeah, every morning Joe would wake up and he'd make him, like, I'm doing a cooked breakfast every morning, no matter what. Um, and it's good just doing that, like, I don't know, mental health just being like, I'm, I need to make a change. Here's a change I'm going to make. So it might be little, but that kind of routine, that positiveness, you know, it, it trickles yeah. down, trickles down positivity instead of economics, which doesn't work. I'd actually come off the back of a bit of a low period and I was starting to focus on looking after my body and me and exploring the effects that that would have on my mental health. Turned mm-hmm. out it was all very positive. I started, I made a promise to myself that I would do a cooked breakfast every day um, before uni, I actually ended up missing quite a lot of lectures on the back of that. Um, but I, I didn't regret it at all because it, it, I, I can't stress how much I think the act of cooking, eating breakfast, if you're doing it together over a weekend or whatever, it's a really nice way to start the day. If you push you in the right, getting the right fuel in your body, push you in the right mental state, right physical state. Um, and I just think it's a, it's a really nice communal thing when shared and really important thing personally when so it has to be breakfast for me nice. obviously give or take the elements I mean I'm, I don't mind going full greasy on the fire <laughs> hash browns cheesy beans the lot um, or have something a little bit nicer have to be self-confessed that I am a complete millennial I absolutely love avocado it's, <laughs> it's just the only way to get a bit of veg or, or something healthy in the breakfast so yeah. is uh, it even that good for you the avocado I don't know if it is it looks healthy fat is it healthy fat yeah yeah. It looks nice. It's nice and green, <laughs> isn't it? It's a bit of a bizarre texture, isn't it? It's, it's, it's hard it's to get foggy, around. basically, yeah. Mm. It's, fair, no, yeah it's, it's essentially like a scrambled egg if you're not... You know, shop, shop it, uh, but it's cold and soggy. Like, the nice thing about mm. eggs is they're quite warm and, and hearty when yeah. the avocado just doesn't really give you that. It's, I, I, it's weird to think that the first time I had it, I wasn't even overwhelmed. I was kind of a bit... Yeah, I thought overrated the first time yeah. I had it. Yeah, it's the taste. It's not like a great taste. Like, you wouldn't go, well, that's a great tasting avocado. No. Yeah, it's a bit is like, the texture great? I don't even know. Do we, do we just do we just do we just hate avocados? No, no, no. I love what they represent. 
<laughs> the freedom and the modernity that they represent, I think, has got to be admired, you know, basic and stuff. But getting to that at a later stage. No but, no, but the way I look at it is that the more you hear about someone doing it, because I think the hard thing is is that for some people, they're stuck in this low point in a hole and they go, I, I literally, I can't even imagine what it's like to get out of that or to find, you know, the routine yeah. that you talk about. Yeah. But the more you hear about people being able to do that, the more you hear about people saying, you know, you know I do, I do try and get to the gym three times a week. And then uh, it does help, I think, to be able to, to then go, okay, well, they're doing these positive changes. Maybe I need to start slowly but it's, it's also it is hard to you know when you're in that low to motivate yourself to do any of that yeah mm. agreed i have never ever felt bad after exercising i always try to remind myself whenever i think oh i'm not gonna go i'm not gonna go and do this or that i've never felt worse off the back of doing some yeah. form of exercise and that is probably the thing i tell myself most is that when i think about not doing it i think you know what the hardest part is just getting getting there the yeah i know what you mean yeah, just getting through the yeah. door. And it's actually yeah. quite a nice non-alcohol fueled way to catch up with someone because I think that's another struggle that we have is that in in London particularly, any social interaction you want to do it's tends drinking. to involve around yeah. alcohol. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and I that that's a big part of my job. Um, so I work for a technology company and I work um, in a sales led role. So we focus on new business. So. A lot of my role is about going to events to, to meet people, going um, uh, and, and having introductory conversations with people, and it often revolves around alcohol. Um, and if that's happening in your professional life, and then all your social life is, is revolved around that. Drinking it, before it, you know it, you're drinking six days a week, I mean, mental. Exactly. So I think, you know, that's something that maybe doesn't necessarily get talked about. I think, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's nice that we live um, you know, in a city that's so social and so interactive, but it's something to be wary of that you know are you are all of the times when you're seeing people involved in alcohol can you think of other less I don't want to say broadly healthier but, but just less alcohol orientated things that you can be doing with people mm-hmm. um, and I think that you know going on if, if there's someone that you end up going to the gym with that's a nice way of catching up in an intimate scenario that doesn't roll around booze <laughs> One question that we've, we've spoken about before um, is favourite holiday uh, destination. Uh, I think this is particularly poignant because Joe and I have had some quite epic trips. Epic, maybe not the greatest word to use. Um, blurry trips, maybe better. Um, so yeah, Joe, do you want to go ahead? Yeah, I think uh, I, can't, I think Southeast Asia does. It's a totally very special wonderful place. place. For, yeah. For, obviously, they're they're. Um, We've had some colourful experiences on that particular continent. Colourful, good, good words. Um, I do, I do think that part of the world. There's a reason why I really like Southeast Asia, and I think it's because everywhere, every other continent that you go to, part of the foundation has been built on kind of like romance influence or like continent European influence, like even South America, North America. But heading to you know Asia, there was it was comparatively less touched by imperialism so the foundations seem to me to be quite different mm. um, and that's why I find any time I visit um, to be fascinating um, or with with a, you know aware of the context of um, you know our trip to Bali and, and how things ended with um, Do you want to tell the listeners how it ended? <laughs> so we, uh, yeah, when Chris and I went to Bali, it was actually the first time I'd ever been to Asia. Um, I'd been spending about three and a half weeks there. Chris came over for the last ten days, 
of the trip um, and um, through various um, I think if you're exper experimenting with chemicals yeah so it was, it was a big stoner at that time and I stopped smoking weed for the first time in a couple of years or something like that and then took a lot of magic mushrooms and then didn't sleep for three days something like that and so then, actually three yeah, days well I've very maybe have an hour nap here or there but I was quite literally losing my mind yeah. was it was it because your brain was like so hyperactive active. yeah so active so you literally just couldn't you couldn't have any calm or any kind of no it's really hard to get calm mind like really racing like for like a genius like yeah when, when did you first start to sort of um, notice you weren't yourself because uh, it must have been an element where like it was like part of the experience I remember but... one thing when I I wouldn't say I didn't feel like myself, I just felt like I, I, the world clicked into place and I suddenly understood the world through a new light. So I wouldn't say it's like you don't feel like yourself. It's more like, yeah, you feel like you've suddenly worked the whole world out and then obviously at first you're like, wow, that's amazing. And then you're like, it gets more and more sort of deluded and crazy and builds up. And yeah, but by the time we came back in, we, Joe and I had a seven and a half hour layover in Singapore airport, uh, which got a bit fruity because Joe also had salmonella at the same time. Uh, just raw chicken or something. Uh, yeah, actually, it's actually McDonald's. Right? I know. Don't want to you know bring the brand into disrepute, but my detective skills um, believe that it was a McDonald's chicken burger. Yeah. Um, but it was qualified by the NHS as definitely salmonella. <laughs> Would not recommend uh, <laughs> at all. So, so we had so the so the format we had was um, so for the last sort of six seven days of the trip, um, we learned in with hindsight that Chris gradually. Um, succumbed to psychosis or entered a state of psychosis and then yeah yeah um, sort of crescendoing towards the, the the last part of the trip um, we then had um, a journey to the is it Jakarta airport um, and we flew from there to Singapore stayed over Singapore overnight and then flew from Singapore back to the UK um, into Heathrow um, and during that journey so over that period of what like 30 odd hours um, I was undergoing salmonella at the same time um, so I was like drifting in and out of consciousness um, a lot of fruity things happening to my body um, stomach wise so <laughs> it was um, not not an enjoyable experience and then when we arrived back um, I we I managed to get hold of um his dad and this is the room uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, and we who I had met a couple of times before um, but we went uh, we met at Heathrow and I for my sins had to almost like, kind of introduce very briefly give a you know background of you know I think Chris is not in a good place mentally um, and yeah. had been acting quite erratic for the last I, yeah, I mean I hadn't days. been wearing shoes since Singapore I'd like yeah, I kind of thought there was like meaning to loads of different things. So um, mm. in this one hostel, there was sort of like a, a loads of flip flops. So I kept on like taking different flip flops, and I like like the meaning of you could just go and just get whatever flip flops you wanted. But then I kind of like lost some. So I went out with like black and white flip flops, and came back with one blue flip flop. And yeah. I had a bit in my head about the matrix blue and red pill as well. So I thought there was some meaning to the, the color of the flip flop. Yeah. Um, what was it like to be the first hand sort of? Obviously, you've got like your own salmonella issue going on in that situation as well <laughs> like I I think I knew I kind of had an inkling that things were because I think the conversation we've been having had started to get a bit um, 
surreal um, and Chris was touching on certain topics that were you know I, I, I was wondering whether something was right but I knew something was going wrong by like the last day you said like when Tim well also when Tim joined us so another we had another mate that was living in Australia it happened to be in Bali at the same time and he's joined us for like last two days or something yeah 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 and when he came and obviously he knew us from, yeah. from uni but he was like Chris is not right to joke yeah but also I think, yeah when you're there with me everything's definitely happening gradually probably doesn't feel as yeah and I I'd actually had messages from people so what's really interesting is this is I think something that's happened to a number of people and it's quite a taboo subject because different people would message me and say oh by the way you know has Chris um, experimented with any hallucinogenics when he's out there because we know people that have I didn't even diagnose it as psychosis, but have undergone a similar thing and created statuses that maybe like don't show, you know, uh, how do I phrase this? That don't, that aren't written as, as Chris's typical self, for example. Yeah. So statuses that seem like written by someone that's not got a complete firm grasp on both reality and themselves. By statuses, you mean Facebook statuses? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sharing social, yeah. So, so, and that's, and that was what gave people the inkling that something might be wrong because uh, Chris was sharing. But, I mean, I knew things, something was really up by the time the airport was there. So I actually spoke with, communicated with like some of my housemates back by uni housemates who knew Chris well um, and got them to start speaking, speaking to him and trying to talk out of him. And they were like, look, just make sure you get home. And I think for me, the adrenaline just kind of took over. Like all I had in my mind was like, I just knew that we needed to get back to the UK. So I knew that my body was just not right physically, but it was more like the one thought I had in my head was we just needed to get home because that was where we could we could get a base back we could understand what was happening and and you know it wasn't thinking about long-term effects it was just front you know mid, middle of the road got to get home that's the horizon that's what we need to do what i do always say about the the events that took place was the one like real saving grace is that throughout the entire episode um chris not being able to necessarily differentiate between reality and and what, what he was the images he was seeing and perceiving was that he always listened to everything that I said so it, it was like he always considered me to be not only telling the truth but to be able to guide him through this probably like both unsettling but also well this process essentially so mm-hmm. it was that that was the the best thing because even when so for example when like the plane landed like I think Chris was really uncomfortable I didn't want to leave the, the plane um, um, I was able to like kind of calm down, talk to him, and, and be able to like, gradually, you know, talk him back to come in with me. So that that I think is something I'm very thankful that happened because if I wasn't able to communicate with him throughout the whole, with you throughout the whole thing, then it would have been a very different story. Yeah, in my head, what was going on was fucking mental. Like, <laughs> I can't even. Just... Just give you elements of like a good. Talk. I could talk you through, literally if I was talking through the whole experience of being here all day. But like as we were landing, it was like we were in like a a, a, like a war plane and we were about to like go out to war. Um, yeah, it was it was weird. I'm trying to think how else. Yeah, and then like when we landed, we landed in like 1970s UK as well. That's what I had in my head. Like we had like Richard Branson was there. Like I, oh, it was really bizarre. And I thought that someone was going to kind of like come out. I had like loads of visions of what was going to happen next. And at one point I thought we were going to land in like, we'd all become gods and we were going to land in like some, oh, it's really weird. Land in some like god worlds where everyone was like immortal. That's really weird. But it all kind of like blurred into one thing. I mean, yeah. Crazy, crazy shit. Literally. Uh, but yeah, Joe got me home. That was, 
And then when we, so then the, the events following were, I, I basically went home and couldn't get out of bed for like 36 hours. Um, I had a lot of people contacting me. I felt so bad because I was like just drifting in out. I had the, literally the worst journey home. I got the Piccadilly line. I remember this clear as day. I got the Piccadilly line all the way through central London. I got another tube, then I got a CTC home. All the while, like just so ill, uh, like just sweating profusely. Um, I actually missed a whole first week of my new job. Yeah, new job. Is a starting job. You went, I, I went, first went day. on the first day, couldn't finish the lunch they bought me, and like ended up being like, look, I'm sorry, there's something really wrong with me. So I missed the whole first week. Um, spoke with, got the call from the NHS like three weeks later, being like, oh, by the way, um, are you all right? Like, yes. <laughs> Why? They're like, oh yeah, it's the doctor that you saw a couple of weeks ago. You had salmonella. <laughs> just checking you're fine. <laughs> so, um, just, just the immune system actually that, that, that sold that. But then it was after those, those nine, so you, so I got back, slept pretty much for 36 hours, intermittently speaking to people on the phone, um, and then gradually spent the rest of the next week like, getting back to health. Well, at the same time... Well, you, sectioned, yeah. yeah. Sectioned, <laughs> then, sectioned under the Mental Health Act, yeah. Less rights than a prisoner. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what else to say about so that. During that time, did you, um, did you have any contact with each other? Or was it... I, I did, we? Really? I think yeah, so. I think... Yeah, yeah, I think you had your phone confiscated for a little bit, but then no, I, I lost my phone in Singapore. I mean, in Singapore it. airport, Joe found me, uh, basically bump, clutching my bag on a on like a park kind of bench mm-hmm. in the it's really massive airport, just like shivering, wearing my elephant trousers, like dirty feet, no shoes, uh, probably that ridiculous shirt that I still have, it's a good shirt, uh, probably li- limited buttons done up, like having like a, some sort of weird cat nap. Um, I remember, yeah, you finding me in that state and you'd be like... Um, I think that was the the hardest bit was me, my body just trying to like shut down and me falling out of consciousness and then waking up and then not remember Chris was having to find him mm. in the airport. Um, but I think in, in hindsight, I, I think, you know, absolute kudos and testament to how you were able to take that experience. Yeah. Change elements of your lifestyle to, you know, better suit yourself, you know, mentally and ultimately put the entire episode, not just behind you, but transform it into something that... Yeah. I kind of thought I had to rock it a bit because it was so public and being all over social media and shouting about it. So it was just a bit like, I had to just own it and be like, yeah, I went a bit mental. It's quite a good story. And then I told the story loads of times, still telling it. it um, but instead of like, yeah... But I always thought that was very courageous the way that you did sort of wear it and just yeah, I, I, yeah. talk about we, we talked about this before happened. yeah we talked about it before and I, in my head it's not I don't think it's particularly courageous because I think I just had to do that like what else was I going to do couldn't deny it it was pretty obvious that it happened it's pretty mm. yeah pretty public and um, it's quite a funny story I guess <laughs> um, yeah yeah should we uh, move on from the uh, sectioning <laughs> <laughs> From the light, from the <laughs> trivial topic of question, of um, So, love life. Joe is in a relationship of how, how many years now? Uh, nearly two years. Two now. years nice. with, with yeah. Claire, girl from uni. We yeah. actually all did a seminar together, the three of us. So you met uh, environmental uh, history. Environmental history. Which, yeah, uh, I don't know. You've obviously used a lot. Since. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I, 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 I had to to somebody who's a little bit older, in, um, uh, who's also done history. She'd given me the tip off that environmental 
history was. Tushty. I remember you calling me actually in the library and I turned up for this political history one that I like the look of. It's classic me at uni being like, that sounds really interesting. I'm definitely going to really go to that and try hard. And then when it came around to doing it, I was like, fuck this, I'm going to do the easy thing. Yeah. But you calling me like, and be like, Chris, see how silence this political history thing? <laughs> it's going to be shit. <laughs> Environmental history, it's on Fridays, I'll have a beer afterwards. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically just a David Attenborough documentary every single time. Oh, it was great, it was it great. Was Loads yeah. of wildlife documentaries. <laughs> Three hours on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> um, you know, the, it, um, the gentleman that um, led it was a really charismatic guy, really funny. Um, it was just and it was just an absolute steal because no like it wasn't that popular so the people that were in the class got to know really well uh, Claire was actually in that class um, but didn't actually end up going out for another like, four or five years yeah. um, uh, but I we have a very close mutual friend who told me that um, she was single <laughs> so I texted her and said I made the executive decision that we're going out next week <laughs> and she said alright and, and that's that so yeah first first um, long term um, girlfriend relationship um, but very very much enjoying it I think she um, anchors me really well mm. has um, is a really like kind of positive influence on me, I can be a little bit erratic. I can say yes to lots of different things, um, socially, etc. Um, uh, but she's she's quite quite a calming influence. How, how do you find being in a relationship to being single? Um, <laughs> I it, it, it's definitely a step change because you have to. <laughs> it suddenly it's like you know when I think the biggest change is when you're a single person. You basically just think okay. Do I want to do this? If so, yes, I'm going to do it. Whereas if you're in a relationship, it's you, you don't just think about your own calendar and your own timetable, you think about theirs as well. Yeah. Um, so that was a change when, when first. But it but it's nice, you know, you like it's it's really nice to have someone to kind of share these different parts of your life with, to have pockets that are you know, first of all to have pockets of your life that and a side of you that you can kind of share with just that person which I think is really nice and also it's it, it important to just have for want of a better word like a buddy like someone that mm. you know is you know that you've got someone to kind of share the load with when things are good and bad um, and like that's a companionship I didn't realise that I would enjoy so much and mm. I think when you're when you're single as well like you invest a lot of time in your friends because mm. you kind of get that companionship from other pockets yeah, kind of yeah. spread across your friendship group and as a result of that I do think that's directly you know I'm very lucky to be in London and have a lot of close friends from work who I'm still friends with you know people you know a lot of my friends in uni now are based here friends from my home in Essex so it's 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 nice to have had that period where you really invest in your sort of social life and like to still have that but also now have like that companionship as well nice um, and then a, a trivial one that we've, we've done a few times and uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, first first date spot. <laughs> Top secret comedy club for me. A great answer. Is that the same comedy club that you... Yeah, that's who yeah, I got off. That, that was actually oh, wait, first, the... first date with Claire. Top secret comedy club. Chris's version of the story is, is about as perfect a story as I've ever heard for a first the date. Beats, uh, the the, the a pub before... Is true? You're the one that... How did you come about this? <laughs> honestly, honestly, I have to thank I, uh, the first um, 
comedy I'd worked with, they went for a, for a social there to, to, to obviously a comedy club, and I was absolutely hooked. I must have been there, I must have gone about 10, 15 times since. Mm. Um, my favourite one in London, um, and it's in Holborn, so it's like right slap bang in the middle, there's yeah. loads of nice places to go and drink and, and stuff around, but it, they're really good at getting kind of up and coming comedians. Um, and also getting quite high profile comedians who want to come in and practice. I saw Russell Howard there. For like yeah. three quid, yeah. Yeah. Dara Brian I've seen from Viva. Um, I've seen um, Sean Walsh in there. I've seen Jack Whitehall. I've seen loads and loads of. Mo Gilligan was doing quite oh, a few right. circuits there before he became um, as prominent as he is now. Um, you know, it's one letter off just completely stealing my name. <laughs> um, um, you'd be like oh you're, you're that guy no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no yeah top two comedy clubs has got to be one of the things but you, I, I, you know if, if we're going from top two comedy club then I'm very serious about <laughs> I do I do actually think that the, it's actually better as a second or third and I, I quite like that early just open first drink thing um, as your first day because I think it's important to communicate and get to know each other However, to then agree with you is I do think it's, quite, you know, good dates are ones where there's like an, an activity involved, sure, broadly. Yeah. like something that's quite interactive yeah. um, that you guys can do together is always really good. So, um, you know, there's, and I think London's quite good for that. You know, you've got all these sorts of things like a flight club, which axe is throwing. Uh, which has axe throwing, yeah. you know, virtual darts, you know, or, and then there's like oh, crazy golf, things like that. So I do think an, an activity fuel date is, is always a little bit more it is always a little bit funner mm. um, also a cheap date you taught me this as well a cheap date actually like it makes you look good if you do something good for cheap because then you're like it's not a big deal if you're paying for it or you're splitting it but also like it looks like you know your stuff like you're into cool things that don't cost loads I do think it's, it's yeah I think it's, there's more value in, in a creatively thought out date than and just spending loads of money on dinner or something like that yeah I'm as much as as much as like I do, I, I like to eat out. You know, it's I I definitely don't go for dinner as much as some people do. I think I think I'd much rather spend that invest that money in like an art exhibition or a gig or something. Yeah. Um, than than I I would say I'm I barely eat out once or twice a month. Really. Not including late night Macdonalds. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to throw the last question? There? Uh, last question, which is, which is a goodie. Uh, advice uh to young people. So if you were sat with your 15-year-old self, um, what, would, what would you say? What would you be like? Um, hey, hey, baby Jay, it's going to be all right. <laughs> I, think, I think when you're 15, especially if you've only lived in one place for your whole life, it's very easy to see, to think that you've viewed the world as it is. Yeah. When really, you're just, you've occupied one very small pocket of it. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 it's a classic view right? as you're growing up. You don't have that objective view because you've not seen enough of the world to know that a lot of the things you're going for while they seem momentous will actually seem quite trivial in years mm. to come um, I would encourage my I encourage myself to be a little bit more open mm. with um, things that I'm either insecure about or um, things that I think are, are not uh, that I don't feel confident to share so you know like personal sort of things I, I think I see a lot of things and like even when I see sort of you know people around me do the same thing where they you know keep something bottled up and don't express it and talk about it you know it becomes a massive deal in their own head and really it's probably something that's quite normalised 
Um, should we uh, should we call it a day? You can wrap up, Joe. Honestly, it's been it's been lovely <laughs> meeting you and getting to know you in the last what has it been? A couple of hours, but um, <laughs> Chris did say when we first uh, sat down to talk about it how you'd be a very valuable member of the podcast community, and I think it's been obvious. Uh-huh. With today's uh, exploits, um, obviously I've got to edit the shit out of this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, it's been it's been lovely having you on the show. Thank um, you so and much. we'd love to have you back when we for sure when we make it the big time. When we make it the big time. We love chairs. Brilliant, brilliant. Chairs. Oh, you know, I don't mind. I don't mind the cushion on the floor. Actually, no, yeah, it's, it's quite it's yeah, bohemian. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, thank you very much for having me, guys. Right. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, give us a subscribe or a review, and you can follow the podcast on Instagram or on Facebook at Hunky Dory Pod. And thank you again to Joe for being on the podcast. If anything, I'd love to get him back on further down the line. I'm sure he's got so much more to say. And also to my new co-host, Chris. Hopefully we'll be seeing him in the interview chair again in the near future. And of course, quick mention to our collaborators of Hunky Dory, Joel Stewart, who composed and recorded the music. If you want to hear more, you can give him a follow at joelstewart.music, or you can find all of his latest music on Spotify. And to Chloe Allen for the amazing artwork she hand drew for the podcast logo. If you want to see more of her work, you can give her a follow at Chloe Allen Art. Finally, thanks to you guys for listening. This has been Everything is Hunky Dory.